Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you. I'm glad you're here. The Lord is glad you're here. As we begin, if you would, grab your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 14 through 21, and this, will, this lesson will bring us up to the halfway point in the book of Ephesians. As we've talked about the first half of Ephesians, Paul is laying out the doctrine of the work that God has done in this world on behalf of His people. The second half of the book points to the duty of those who have been called according to His marvelous grace, how we are to live, move, and have our being. So the first half sets up the riches of God's amazing grace. The second half, our responsibility uh, now that we have been graced with His grace. And here, just before we get to the practical application of all the doctrine that Paul has laid out in these opening chapters, he offers a prayer. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. Hear now the word of the true and living God. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Eternal Holy God who exists as three persons eternally, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray that You, Father, by the Spirit within us, would enable us to recognize the love Christ, that we would be filled with your fullness, and that we would be strengthened by the Spirit in our inner being. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. This is now the second time that Paul has prayed for these saints. Back in chapter 1, verses 15 and following, he talked about, I, I don't stop giving thanks for you. I don't stop remembering you in my prayers. And he had a specific prayer there that God would enlighten the eyes of the hearts of these believers to know several things. And we enumerated those at that time. And now we circle back to prayer. We've entitled this series of lessons, Basic Christianity. That what is being communicated here in this epistle are the basics of the Christian faith and the Christian religion. 
And it doesn't get more basic than prayer. And here, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father, there in verse 14. In fact, this verse begins similar to verse 1. It's as if Paul, in verses 2 through 13, interrupted his train of thought to explain the mystery of God, Jews and Gentiles in one body, though that body reconciled to God through Christ, and, and his role as an apostle to the Gentiles, as well as the role of the church of making known the manifold wisdom of God to all those spiritual powers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And just the, the marvelous purpose and intention of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in redeeming people in history. And now he comes back, verse 14. And so for this reason, I'm praying. I bow my knees before the Father. There are a number of postures that are presented uh, in Scripture as it pertains to prayer. You can pray when you're standing. Mark 11, verse uh, 25, gives an example of that. You can pray when you're sitting. First Chronicles 17 and verse 16 tells us. You can pray flat on your face, like our, our Lord did in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39. Here, what's accentuated is kneeling. Paul kneels. He bows his knee. It's a typical uh, position for prayer. All this to say, you can pray at any time. That's the simplicity of prayer. Uh, you can pray when you're driving in your car. You can pray when you're walking around the block. You can pray in the comfort of your lazy boy recliner. Just, you know, be mindful that you don't fall asleep when you're doing that, which, you know, I, wouldn't be a bad thing to fall asleep while praying, right? You can pray when you go to sleep. You can pray right when you wake up. You can pray at any time. Well, I appreciated the songs that uh, have been sung already. And so here is Paul, and he says, look, I, I bow my knees. There is a position, a posture of prayer that communicates uh, reverence. We're kneeling, and yet notice he kneels before the Father. Uh, so this, this shows us, look, God, God is our Father. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but when I go talk to my dad, I don't get dressed up in a suit and tie to do it. And yet, here is Paul, he recognizes, yes, there, there is a familiarity with acknowledging that God is our Father, but at the same time, there's also reverence for who He is. So, so you need to keep both of those things. I don't think they're at odds with one another. I think you need to hold on to both of those when you approach God in prayer. And so, here Paul is praying. Uh, here, the prayer is a little different. He is going to pray that these Christians strengthened by the Spirit and the inner being, would know, so there's the connection to knowledge back in chapter 1, but now the knowledge is, I want you to know the love of Christ. And that could be speaking of Christ's love for us, could be talking about our love for Christ. And, and perhaps because of the way this is structured, it could be both. It's, it's interesting also here, verse 15, from whom, my English standard says, every family in heaven and on earth is named. But there's a, a word play that's going on here that my English standard in a footnote acknowledges. Because what it could say here is that from whom all the fatherhood in heaven and on earth derives its name. That the father has his fatherhood. Uh, and, and again, there's that close relationship here uh, to what the father is actually father of. 
there are some who look at this and say, oh, every family on earth, well, then God is the father of everybody. Mm. I readily acknowledge he's certainly the creator of all people. But when it comes to the fatherhood of God, he has a specific family, a, a certain fatherhood, and it is comprised of saints. It is comprised of his children, those who have been born again by the Father through the Son, who are now indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I believe this is what Paul has in view here when he talks about all the fatherhood. In heaven would be all of the deceased saints who've gone before us, and on earth would be all the living saints right now. God is the Father of all of His people, and He is intimately related to them. He has a loving relationship with them. And so, as a result of that, Paul makes some requests. And now this is where the depth of prayer can be seen. I get it, basic Christianity. It's, it, prayer is a very simple thing. It's just talking with God. We also need to recognize that, that when it comes to God, it's not just a God or any God. It is the one true and only God who exists eternally as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and hopefully you caught it as we read through these verses already, that prayer is a Trinitarian exercise. That we address the Father in light of the completed and accomplished work of Christ. Because of our union with the Son, we have access to the Father. But also the Spirit is involved here. And we could talk about the intercessory work of Christ on behalf of His people to ensure that we are presented as a holy and blameless people to the Father, and that intercessory work continues. But also the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8, for example, where you know, there, there are times we, we don't even know what, how we ought to pray, what we ought to pray for because of our weakness. But the Spirit takes those prayers and He communicates those to the Father in words and groanings that are too deep for words. And so, uh, again, prayer, Christian prayer, is intensely Trinitarian. And again, this is a bit of the depth here, since God exists eternally as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in one being, one essence, which is God. And so in light of the triune God, and our relationship to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Paul prays here that according to the riches of His glory, and, and how rich is God's glory? It, it is, there's a perfection to His glory. His, his uh, glory is perfect in all its gloriousness, okay? And it is according to the perfection of the riches of His glory that He may grant you or enable you, you see, left to our own devices and to our own, uh, our own selves, we're unable to do this. But God grants it so that we may be strengthened with power. I've talked about how Paul will just pile on all these power words 
to talk about just how powerful God is. Well, here we are being strengthened with power. And, and because of the way this is written, this is God's work, His action toward us. He's the one who strengthens us. You, you don't strengthen yourself here. We need the strength that God supplies, and He strengthens us with power through His Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit now in your inner being. This shows, once again, the spiritual nature of this. I'm reminded of what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. Which is the... That's the wrong text. Yes, verse 16. I knew there was a 6 in it. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. He says, We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. And that's what this body is. It's the outer self. And, and I'm sure each one of you who you've lived long enough, you know, yeah, this outer self, it, it does waste away. It gives out. It betrays us. That's why on your calendar you have all those doctor's appointments, right? You know about this. Our outer self is wasting away. Ah, our inner self, that's the inner being, that's the spiritual part of us, that inner self is being renewed day by day. It's a spiritual renewal, and it happens on a day-to-day basis. So even though day by day your outer self is wasting away, it gets weaker, it gives out, the inner self daily is being renewed. How? Through the Spirit, by God. And and again, keeping in mind that he, Paul, is addressing God the Father in prayer. Since he is a good father, he will not leave his children as orphans. He will surely strengthen us as a loving father through his Spirit in our inner being. This is why we emphasize the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in the believer. And because we have the Holy Spirit, we have the promise, the sure promise here of the strengthening, the spiritual strength that the Spirit supplies in our inner being. And so the Father through the Spirit strengthens us in our inner being. How so? What are some ways in which the Spirit operates in that capacity? Well, let me just give a few here. I believe the Spirit strengthens us when we are afflicted even when that affliction comes from the good hand of our Father. That would be in discipline, by the way. I'm thinking of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5. Hebrews 12 and verse 5, which cites from the book of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, so Old Testament and New Testament give us this exhortation. Hebrews 12 verse 5 says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For, let me tell you why, the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. See, God here pictured as the Father once again. And notice the exhortation. On the one hand, my son, do not 
regard lightly. Your translation may say despise. That's good too. Don't despise the discipline of the Lord. You see, what happens sometimes, it can happen even to Christians, is when the providential the hand of God, and sometimes it's the dark providences of God's hand, where His discipline comes upon us, you know what sometimes we do? We hate it. We despise it. And here the exhortation is, no, don't, don't do that. Don't you realize the Father disciplines His sons, and that's a good thing for God to do. On the other hand, do not be weary when reproved by Him. See, that's the other side of this coin is we become weary, we become faint. Some people do this as well. They stop walking with the Lord. And what is at the heart of uh, both of these are two polarities of how we view ourselves. You see, on the one hand, I believe it's human pride that would despise or regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Like, I know better than God. And that's why I shouldn't be going through this affliction. And then on the other hand is a view too lowly of ourselves where we are dejected and we start to think of ourselves as, well, am I really even a son? In our affliction, guess what the Spirit does? He comes and He consoles us. He strengthens us in the inner person, in the inner being, so that we are able to view those afflictions, those disciplines, and uh, those chastisements from the good hand of our Father, we recognize them for what they are. You can almost hear James in the background here, right? Count it all joy, my brothers. That's the, uh, one of the ways in which the Spirit comes and consoles us. When we come across affliction, even when that Discipline comes from the hand of our Father. The Spirit comes and strengthens us, uh, and we can look upon it in a better light. So the Spirit strengthens us in our affliction. Also, stay there in Hebrews and turn back a few, several pages to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 and 18 The writer here says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope before us, the hope set before us. And that that fleeing to God as a refuge is an echo of what we come across in the Old Testament of those cities of refuge. That when a uh, person accidentally, uh, through no fault of their own, killed one of their fellow Jewish people, There was the avenger of blood who would threaten to come and visit that person's blood, the innocent person's blood, upon the other. And so what the guilty person could do, they could flee to the city of refuge and the avenger of blood could not touch them. They would flee for refuge. And then once the high priest uh, died, 
the, the, the guilty person was free to leave the city of refuge and the avenger of blood could no longer touch them. That's what's in back of this idea of we who have fled for refuge. You see, we have committed cosmic treason against God. We have sinned against Him. And yet we can flee for refuge to the Christ who is our refuge when we sin. And now, since we have that refuge, we also might have strong encouragement. This is the work of the Spirit in consoling us. You see, our sin can so weigh upon us that, that we just, uh, and the guilt of it, just, I'm burdened with it. But the Spirit comes and He speaks a better word. And He says, wait a minute, you're in Christ. Christ is the one who's taken all that guilt and all that sin off of you. And we have this strong encouragement, this consolation from the Holy Spirit. That no, we're, we're no longer under that. We fled to Christ and the Spirit consoles our hearts. And so the Spirit strengthens us in the inner person when we sin. But we should not love sin, we should hate sin, and in fact, we should seek to obey God in all things. And I believe the Spirit also strengthens us in all of our obedience. I see this in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, where what is described here is the regenerating work of the Spirit who performs the heart surgery, takes out the heart of stone and puts in the heart of flesh, Notice verses 26 and 27. God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Hmm, what's that new spirit? I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You see, without the regenerating work, the, the, without God granting new spiritual life, giving you that new heart, all that remains is that heart of stone. And so we praise God that He has done this heart surgery on us. And we have this new heart of flesh. But then notice verse 27. He says, I will put My Spirit within you. The Father sends His Spirit into us. We have His Spirit in the inner person. And notice, and I will cause you to walk in all My statutes and be careful to obey My rules. You see, the Holy Spirit helps us in our obedience. He causes us. Whereas before we were Christians, we despised the law. We thought, oh, it's too restricting. Or, or, or because we had broken the law, it, it held that guilt against us. And we knew I could never keep the law. Now, because the Spirit has done His work within us, now we have a different relationship with the law of God. And now we love His law, we love His Word, and the Spirit is at work producing those new desires and new affections within us, but also He is causing us to walk according to those statutes. He's helping us to be careful to obey the rules of God. And in this way, He strengthens us in the inner person. This is why we need the strength that the Spirit supplies us. Otherwise, we run the temptation of reducing the Christian life to a merely humanistic enterprise where I'm trying to do this all on my own through the bootstrap method of self-effort and commandment keeping. And, and, and no, that's 
We need the Holy Spirit. This is why I'm persuaded Paul, one of the things he prays here, is that these Christians in Ephesus would be strengthened with power through the Spirit in the inner being. And, and here are some ways in which the Spirit strengthens us and why we need Him to strengthen us. But here's the, there's a, a purpose to this as well in verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And here perhaps is the greatest reason why we need the Spirit strengthening us in the inner person is so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. This is, uh, this is a, a summary of the Christian uh, faith. Christ dwelling within us. Christ absolutely soaking our lives with Himself. Permeating every aspect of our life, because that's the idea of what the heart is. The heart stands for the whole self. And so Christ dwells in every aspect of us. He takes up residence within us. He reshapes uh, how we live and how we move in this world. He redefines who we are. Whereas before we came to Christ, we had our own identity of who we thought we were. But now in Christ, with Him dwelling within us, we have a new identity. Christian. We bear His name. And it's through faith. And indeed, it is the Spirit strengthening our faith that enables Christ to dwell in our hearts. In the New Testament, there is, uh, there's a number of ways in which the Christian life is described. You see, on, on, sometimes it, we're, we're exhorted to put on Christ, and, and the initial putting on of Christ is often linked with baptism. I think of, like, for example, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27. We put on Christ. We put on the Lord in baptism. But then also, on the other hand, there are times where Scripture talks about how we are in Christ. And it uses that language where, where we are in Christ. And then also it talks about how we are united with Christ, right? We're, we're brought together in Christ. And now here it is described as Christ living in us. Well, which is it? Yes, it's all of those. All right? That's, we put on Christ. We're in Christ. We're united with Christ. We're, he's in us. And there's that reciprocal nature of our relationship with Christ. And if Christ, since Christ lives in you, my brothers and sisters, guess what happens to self? Put to death. The very thing Christ calls us to do is to put self to death. We live in a culture which glorifies the self. And you have all these, these uh, speakers and writers who talk about self-fulfillment and self-realization and uh, self-determination and all these things. Self must die. You have people who are self-made. Hmm? Careful when you find a self-made person because the materials are suspect. No, we want Christ to be the very definition and determiner of our life. Isn't He the author and finisher of our faith? We should desire to see Christ and His purposes fulfilled in our lives. You see why the Spirit, we need the Spirit to strengthen us so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. Otherwise, self's going to get in the way. 
that you, he continues, being rooted and grounded. Paul has no problem mixing metaphors here because rooted is an agricultural term, like how a plant, its roots dig down into the soil. But grounded is an architectural term, like a foundation is grounded. And he, he again, he smashes both of those together to talk about you are rooted and grounded in love. That love is not a, uh, a static thing. It's a dynamic thing. And it's, it's uh, ever-flourishing in the Christian's life. And so, with the mention of love, then that launches off into verse 18, that you may have strength. And notice, it is, once again, the Father through the Spirit who enables us to be strengthened in order to comprehend. Comprehend is, is a, an understanding word. It's a mind word. To understand, to know. With all the saints. Notice that this is uh, something that happens within the church. All the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ? Man, and he just... First of all, to comprehend. Spiritual comprehension, spiritual knowledge is uh, spiritually discerned. And it comes from the Spirit strengthening us so that we can even comprehend in the first place. Again, it was prayed earlier. Jesse prayed it for us. That apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But then here, the context is knowing the love of Christ. And there's a breadth to it. There's a length to it. There's a height to it. There's a depth to it. That without the help that comes from the Spirit, we won't even begin to come close to understanding the love of Christ. The picture here is one, if you can even picture this in, in, in the theater of your mind, what, what Paul is describing here, it, it's as if um, all these words, breadth, length, height, depth, they all come together to describe this, this unit, this single unit of the love of Christ. And it's as if Paul is standing here, but he's not even standing. He's, it's more like he's floating in midair and he's in this giant sphere of the love of Christ. And he's looking up and he's like, man, I don't even know how high that goes. And he looks down and he's like, man, I can't really see the bottom. And he looks to the left and looks to the right and looks before, looks behind him. And he, he can't even see the edges of this thing because that's the infinite nature of the eternal love of God. That, that he's, he's, again, he's trying as best he can in human terms in human language, which language fails us here, to describe just how immense Christ's love for us is. Maybe we get a bit closer in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Jesus here talking the night before He goes to the cross. He has some very important words for His followers here. And He says... This, in John 15 and verse 19. This is, here's the words of, of Jesus. He says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And again, he's specifically talking to now the eleven because Judas has gone his way. 
But I want you to see here, what was valid that night is still true for each of us today. That Christ loves you. And notice how he compares the love. You ready? It's the same love that the Father has for the Son. It's the same love that God the Father has for God the Son. As the Father loves the Son, so I have loved you. How does the Father love the Son? Eternally? Unchangeably? I mean, can you even think? How could the Father love the Son any different then he's always loved him. And it's that love that Christ patterns his love for his people. Christ loves us with that same everlasting love. I really want to impress this upon you. Christ loves you with that same unchangeable, eternal love that the Father has for the Son. He loved us before the world existed. He loved us when it was determined that He would be the one of the, per, the, one of the persons, the, 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 the representative from within the Godhead who would come to this world. He loved us when He entered into this world, took on flesh and lived among us. He loved us every second that He lived the sinless life that we could never live. All throughout His ministry, He loved us. And then He loved us as He died on the cross. And He loved us when He was raised from the dead. And He loved us when He ascended back on high to the Father's right hand. And He loved us, well, He loves us even now as He intercedes on our behalf. And He will love us to the fullest when He glorifies us in heaven in the presence of the Father one day. Paul says, I, I pray that through the Spirit in your inner being you may have strength to comprehend the love of Christ. And even this, <laughs> we're only touching the hem of the garment here of the love that Christ has for His people because, Paul says, to know the love of Christ, that surpasses knowledge. He says, I want you to know the unknowable. <laughs> How will we come to know that? Well, we come to know it through what has been revealed for us in the Scriptures. This is how we come to know. And yet, even in the Scriptures, the, the Scriptures, being God's Word, are of such a nature that they ever give up their gems and their treasures. And there's always more to discover about the love that Christ has for us. And if that weren't enough, Paul here prays that these Christians, again, through the Spirit, according to the love of Christ, may be filled with all the fullness of God. And again, just words fail us to fully understand this. 
But I do just want to make a, a note here that when it comes to being filled, you do not fill yourself. God is the filler. So we pray, fill us, O fill us, O filler, with your fullness. Fullness of God. One person said that this is the richest, best gift of God to humans. It's himself. Last word here of the prayers, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. This is, again, to God, to him who is, he's the one. And Paul could have easily said, now to God. He doesn't, which is important. Paul will do this in his writings where he'll, uh, instead of just saying God, he'll plug in this long descriptor. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly or super abundantly beyond the greatest abundance. <laughs> I mean, Paul, again, he just piles on words and, and does the best with the resources he has with language in order to communicate just how much greater God is. Um, that, that it is to him who is beyond everything. And to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. And we... We can ask, we can think of a lot of different things, right? God does even far more abundantly than that. Notice, and He does this according to the power at work within us. And this is the present reality of the Christian. That God is still able, He's still able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine. And He is still at work within us through His Spirit. And to the degree that we yield ourselves to the transforming power of God is the degree to which we grow or mature. You see, this is where Paul is leading in the opening verses of chapter 4. Is he's going to talk about growing and maturing in the faith. You want to grow and mature as a Christian. It's only going to be by the power at work within us. The power to grow is God's power, not ours. We yield ourselves voluntarily and gladly. We yield ourselves to Him. To Him, verse 21, be glory. And the way this is written, it is to God alone. To God and to God alone who gets the glory in all of this. God is glorified in the church. That is, in all the saints. So we as the church, we glorify God. That's what we do when we gather together and we worship God. And, but it's also, again, what you do Tuesday mornings, Thursday afternoons, Saturday nights, as you live the Christian life, you make it your aim to glorify God, to do all to His glory. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, in the bride as well as in the bridegroom. In the body as well as in the head, God is glorified. And this glory is throughout all generations. Paul wrote this over 2,000 years ago. Well, uh, approximately 2,000 years ago. And this epistle has been read by Christians from generation to generation to generation all the way to today in our generation. Guess what? 
God is still glorified in His church and in Christ Jesus. Throughout all generations, forever and ever, I mean, it doesn't end. You see, there will be a generation that rises up after we're gone. God's still going to be glorified. And then will come the end when the Son hands all this back to the Father. And then we'll, we'll enter into the eternal state. And guess what? God will be glorified then. He and He alone is glorified forever and ever. Amen. So be it. Paul shows us, well, uh, the breadth, length, height, and depth of prayer. That prayer, first and foremost, it's about God. The big word is theocentric, right? It's centered on, it's focused on God. It raises us beyond ourselves to focus on God, specifically the one true and only God who exists as the triune God. And that's the next component, that prayer is not only intensely focused on God, but it is also intensely Trinitarian in nature. Recognizing that God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that the three, op- the Father has His role, the Son, His role, the Spirit, His role, and yet they work harmoniously in unity with one another to bring about and accomplish their purposes in this world and specifically for each one of us. And so the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are all mentioned in, excuse me, in this brief prayer. This prayer begins and ends with God. I bow my knee to the Father, and He is the one who is glorified forever and ever. And it may be worthwhile just to think about, number one, what it is that Paul prays about in this prayer. And we saw, I mean, there's a, all these spiritual things about the Father through the Spirit with the Son on behalf of the people of God, Christians. But then also, maybe do some compare and contrast with what are some of the things that I pray for? Not necessarily saying those things are, are bad in themselves. It's good to pray for others, good. But how does this prayer line up with my prayer? And then third, the actual practice of how about I pray this prayer as well? And so, Let's pray. Our God and Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, we pray that according to the riches of your glory, you may grant us to be strengthened with power through your Spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all of your fullness. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to His power at work within us, 
To you, God, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Salvation is likewise the work of the triune God. That the Father sends the Son into the world to die on the cross for sins and for sinners. This is the gospel that Christ died for sinners, and that He was raised by the power of God to be Lord forevermore send back to the Father's right hand, and then the Father and the Son send the Spirit into the world to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. My friend, if you are here this morning and you are convicted, you are a sinner in need of salvation, come to Christ and find Him a more than perfect and a more than willing Savior this morning. In a moment, Eric's going to lead us in a song. It's designed to encourage you to take that step of faith, to come forward and express how you desire to do that that you want to call God your Father, that you want to be united with Christ, who is the Son, that you want the Holy Spirit to take up residence within you. That means you're going to turn from sin. You're going to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. You're going to be obedient to Christ by being baptized, immersed in water, to have all your sins washed away by His blood, to receive the Holy Spirit, and to be raised to walk in newness of life. That is to live a new life with the Spirit's help. We can help you with that this morning. Any of us, most of us, we've done that, brothers and sisters. But as you evaluate your walk, maybe as you heard all of this, I mean, I think about my own growing up in churches of Christ. We've had a uh, touch-and-go relationship with the Holy Spirit historically. But maybe as you heard this, listen, Christ is the one who tells us that the Father uh, will graciously give us the Spirit. He gives the Spirit to those who ask Him. He's talking to disciples. He's talking to us. And maybe your relationship with the Spirit has been one that's strained. But in a moment, perhaps that's the invitation for you, is to express your desire to know the triune God more fully and to experience the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in new height and depth and breadth and length. All of it, by the way, informed by the Scriptures, okay? In a moment when Eric leads us, that's your opportunity as well. Maybe, maybe you've been living your life in a way that has uh, been inglorious. It has brought dishonor to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Well, the invitation is for you as well. When Eric leads, you come forward. Share the things that are on your heart. Unburden your heart before the throne of grace. We will surround you with love and lift you up in prayer to our Father who delights in helping His children. Maybe it's something of a personal nature. You want a private setting. One of our shepherds will be available in the conference room. Make your way to the conference room. They'll meet you there. Do the same thing there that we do here. Surround you with love. And lift you up in prayer to our Father in heaven about the things that are weighing upon your heart and your mind this morning. Maybe it's something altogether unrelated to the things we've discussed this morning, but it's something that has been upon you. You're, it could be something physical or spiritual, emotional, mental, what have you. The invitation is for you as well. But the lesson is yours. The invitation is open. Won't you come right now while we stand and as we sing?